Hi there. My name is Grant Fishbook, and I'm the lead teaching pastor here at Christ the King Community Church in Bellingham, Washington. And I'd like to thank you for accessing this online content today. And one of our deeply held values here at Christ the King is biblical community. In fact, our mission statement starts with the words, our mission is to create an authentic Christian community. So while we're so glad you've chosen to join us today, I also want to remind you, this is just no replacement for face-to-face biblical community in a local church. So if you're watching this around the world or in different part of the country, we really want to encourage you to get connected in a local church where you can both get to know Jesus and be known as a person because your life really matters. If you happen to be in our area here in Whatcom County, we would love to invite you to any one of our five campuses. You can find out our times and locations at ctk.church. So once again, thank you for joining us today. We're going to head into the worship center right now as we begin the next part of a series that we're simply calling Neighbor. Well, I'm glad to be with you. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant, one of the teaching pastors here. I want to welcome everybody here at the sleep-in service. Also want to welcome everybody that's online. We're so glad that you have chosen to be with us. We actually have a significant online uh, audience that tunes in every single week, and we want to make sure you feel a part of what we're doing here today. So welcome into the room. We're glad that you are here. Next weekend, uh, this exact time, so a week from today, I am going to be sitting on uh, a boat on the Sea of Galilee with 50 friends from Christ the King, who are going to be traveling along with uh, my wife and I and my daughter and my son-in-law, and also Pastor Brian Steele and his wife Katie. We're going to be hosting that trip. We're excited to be able to go, and I hope someday that every one of you has the opportunity to come with us to Israel. I want to say this. The Bible actually specifically tells believers in Jesus to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. So I'm going to ask you to do that while we're gone, that you'd pray for the peace of Jerusalem, pray for the the peace of Israel, not just for safety, but that that entire area will be wrapped in the peace and the love of Jesus, and we'd have an opportunity to represent Jesus while we're there. And uh, if you'd be praying for us while we're gone, that would be fantastic. Uh, While I'm gone, Pastor Todd is going to be kicking off our series. We're coming back to the book of Genesis. We worked on uh, about the first 17 chapters last year in the summertime. Genesis is one of the most controversial books in all all of the Bible. People look at it. They take it lots of different directions. I want to encourage you to be here, Pastor Todd, the first week, and then Pastor Lem is going to open the word to us the second week, and I know you're going to be very well fed uh, in our absence, and I'm excited to have uh, to come back and then pick up Genesis from there. We've been doing a little short series. We started in January, and a couple of times a year, we're going to keep coming back to this principle, and a, a principle and a question. The question that we've been asking as a church is this. Do I take Jesus seriously? Do I take him seriously when he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself? There's no commandment greater than these. We're asking the question, do we actually take Jesus seriously when he says, I have to love my neighbor? The Greek word for neighbor literally means the nearby ones, the close ones, the ones who are adjacent to me, the people who live the closest beside 
me. I would submit to you when Jesus actually says, love your neighbor as yourself, that he means your literal neighbor. Now that causes a problem for some of us because right away you're just like, my neighbors, my neighbors are, are messy. So what do we default to? We default to an ideology that basically says, I'm not going to love my neighbor because they make me uncomfortable. I'm just going to love all people. Everyone's my neighbor. The whole globe is my neighbor. The human race is my neighbor. And I'm going to bring you back again. Do you take Jesus seriously? When he says, love your literal neighbor as yourself. I'll tell you something. It's easy to fall in love with the idea of loving the whole world where the rubber meets the road is when I actually have to wrap my heart around the messiness of someone that might live right next door. Let me tell you a story from scripture. If you want to find out if I'm lying to you or not, it's in Luke chapter seven. And the Bible says this, she, my version, had heard that he was going to be in her neighborhood. And everything inside of her wanted to run away because, because she was ashamed of her past. She came with a story, a mess like all of us do. But she'd also heard a rumor. She heard a rumor that he would not turn away from someone like her. She didn't know how to dress. She didn't know how to act. But she was somehow drawn to this beautiful place called grace that she heard would pour out of every pore of him. And so before she went out the door to have an encounter with him, she grabbed the only beautiful thing that she owned. It was a small little alabaster jar of perfume. If you need a visual, that's what it would have looked like. She thought, I got to bring something. So she grabbed it off the ledge of the wall in her home. And, and she wasn't exactly sure why, but at least it was something. And she straightened her clothes and she straightened her hair and she steeled her nerve. And she walked just down the street and walked into a house. She just walked in because she knew if she knocked and asked to enter, they never would have let her in the door. Because people like her weren't welcome in houses like this. So she walks in and crashes a nice, pretty, religious dinner party. And the Bible says this is what happens, Luke chapter 7. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And the text doesn't say it, but you got to know what happened in that moment. She walks into the room and everybody freezes. What is she doing here? She's a mess. She's not like us. She should know her place and her place is not here. The fact that her hair was down was a cultural clue. That She was known in that in that town as a prostitute. So they're asking questions. We're nice, tidy, religious people. How did she get in? And I can tell you something. If you relate at all to her, you need to stick with me. This is going to be so beautiful. And before we even dive into it, I'm going to give you the punchline of the message. We are all her. Amen. Get it? Yeah. We're all her. The Bible says... As she stood behind him at his feet, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. It's just a humble gift. It's all she has. And if it would have stopped right there, it would have been the most beautiful moment. But religion's going to show up and wreck it. Religion always wrecks beautiful moments of grace. The Bible says, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, 
If this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him, what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. He judges her instantly. We all do it. We all do it. We do it to try and make ourselves feel better. We actually think that somehow life is this long, tidy continuum of a line, and we're all more than willing to put Jesus way over here, because Jesus is perfect, and Jesus is good, and Jesus is kind, and Jesus has feathered hair and a bathrobe, and he says really nice things in King James English. I mean, we love to put Jesus over here, because he's just perfect, and we love to put her way, way, way over here, because she's bad. She did something from her past that she can't get over, and we love to slide her so far over on that continuum. And then we say, boy, if this was a bank transaction, she owes so much more than I do because I may not be all the way over here, but I'm at least here. I'm at least right up here on the edge of the bubble because I'm a, I'm a good person. I'm a religious person. I'm, I, I've got all the P's and Q's looking after. And, and yes, Jesus is over there, but I, I can't put myself all the way over here with her. And we are so offended when the Bible says, if you try to separate yourself from her, that's heresy. Because my Bible says there's no one righteous, not even one. Not a single one of us can say we're not her. There's a word for everything we've talked about. It's called judgment. And it's a hard one because the trap of judgment says this, they are not like me. Somehow I'm different. And let's be honest, we all like people that are like us. We like people who act like us and talk like us and look like us. That's why, I mean, it's a famous saying, right? Birds of a feather flock together, right? And we look at all of these things and we go like, how in the world am I supposed to insert myself into this story? Because I don't want to be the Pharisee and I don't really want to be her either. And I know for sure I'm not Jesus. And we struggle with this fact because Jesus shows up and he says, love your neighbor. And then he gives us this picture and we have only one conclusion to come to. When Jesus said, love your neighbor, he meant I need to love people that are like me and people that are not like me. Here comes the warning of scripture. Do not judge or you too will be judged. In the same way you judge others, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Wow. And we're caught up inside of the story and we should all remember that when it comes to the mess of humanity, that we all bring a story with us. I don't care how hard you tried to look all put together today. The truth is Jesus knows different when it comes to the sin equation in all of our lives. I'm going to use a phrase from one of my favorite movies. When it comes to sin, we're all the same kind of different as me. It's an awkward moment, isn't it? There is tension in this moment. I love this thought from Bob Hyatt. He says this, Jesus is really good at making awkward community work and working community awkward. I love the fact that Jesus is in here stirring the pot. There's this nice working community called Pharisees. They were religious people. They had perfect Sunday school attendance records. They tithed every single time they had an opportunity to. And they elevated themselves and thought they were absolutely fantastic. And into that community, this lady comes. And then Jesus makes it even more awkward because he turns his attention to her. I want you to notice something. The Bible says that the Pharisee said to himself... 
I don't know if he said it under his breath or if he thought it in his brain. All I know is this. Jesus knows exactly what's happening in his heart towards his neighbor. And now Jesus is going to call him out. I love this stuff. Verse 40 says, Jesus answered him. Now think about that. He thought it to himself and Jesus answers him. Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Now, if I was Jesus in that moment, I would have said, okay, you judged that one right, but boy, did you miss that first judgment when she walked in the door, right? You got, you got this one right, but what you, forgot, what you forgot and don't understand is the one who needed the most help, the one with the most broken story, the one with the most messy past, they've got the greatest capacity to love the one who forgives. You know what's really cool about being a mess at Christ the King? It means we can be that much more thankful for how much God had to forgive us for. And we get brought into that moment. And people are just like, we have competing stories, right? Well, I'm messed up and I'm messed up. I'm messed up more than you are. The Bible says that Jesus has a heart for broken people. Aren't you glad for that today? Yes. Now, some of are just like, I'm not as broken as you are. <laughs> Jesus is going to do the unthinkable now. He just spoke to him and now he's going to honor her. The Bible says, then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head. She poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. The Pharisee judged her immediately. And he got stuck in a trap of judgment. Boy, we all get stuck there. The Pharisee is now going to get stuck in another trap. The second trap is pride. Because there's something inside of him that just says, I'm better than her. Why are you giving honor to her? This is my dinner party. I'm in charge of this. She's the dirty one. I'm the clean one. I'm the giver, not the receiver. And I've got something better than a jar of perfume. Jesus, whatever you need, I can take care of it for you. You know, the, tri the trap of pride says something too. It says only I have something to offer. Question, Christ the King. Do you believe that when it comes to your neighbor? Only I have something to offer. I mean, I'm the Christian in this situation. I got something to offer. I'm offering up eternal life here. And boy, you guys better take it. That's why Jesus put me on this street because I'm supposed to be the way, the truth, and the life. I hold the keys to your eternity. I'm the savior of this neighborhood. And when I bring cookies, you better eat the cookies. <laughs> and we elevate ourselves without even meaning to. Pastors do this all the time. This is my room. My room, my microphone, and what I'm serving up today, you better eat it if you're smart. 
Happens with counselors. I'm the counselor. You're the counselee. You need to bathe in my wisdom, and you should just thank God I had room on my schedule for someone like you. You know, there's actually a feel or, or, or a, a psychological term for this. It's called paternalism. It's when you actually think you're the only one with anything to offer. Let me give you the the uh, the definition. Paternalism is the policy or practice on the part of people in positions of authority of restricting the freedom and responsibilities of those subordinate to them in the subordinate's supposed best interest. Can we correct paternalism once and for all? I can't save anybody. You can't save anybody. Only Jesus paid it all. Only Jesus to him do we all owe. Sin had left a crimson stain and he was the only one that could wash it white as snow only one. Here's the warning of scripture. Because sometimes we think, boy, I've got a lot to offer this neighborhood that God put me in here. I mean, these people just need to get a clue and figure out how blessed they should be that I am here right now. (laughs) Here's the warning of scripture. Philippians 2, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. You know why I love this story? Jesus didn't need anything from her. <laughs> he didn't need anything, but he willingly received because he knew that receiving what she offered was going to mean something to her. Receiving from her actually gave her dignity in the face of a whole bunch of skeptics. Jesus graciously accepted her gift, even though everybody else in the room thought it was inappropriate and excessive. Let's go back to the neighborhood for just a second. I'm going to remind you again, none of us are the Savior. We're just trying to be obedient. And sometimes we get caught in the trap of just like, it's my job to give, 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 give. I'm going to just submit something to you. If it's not working, if it's not working, and I'm not trying to undermine giving, I'm just saying, if you're trying to give and nobody's receiving, here's some practical help for neighboring. If you're getting nowhere offering help, have you ever considered asking for help? Oh. Have you ever thought about allowing your neighbor to be the expert in lawn care? Have you ever thought about what might happen if instead of you going over and and offering, 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 what if you went over and said, hey, could you help me out? I actually, I just need a little bit of help. I love the fact that even though Jesus doesn't need anything, he's open to what she is offering. I got a question. Are we humble enough to do that? I know something about Christians. When it comes to giving, we're awesome. When it comes to receiving, we suck. And yes, I said that on purpose. And yes, you can write me a letter. Make sure you sign it. (laughs) Sometimes what God has for us comes in the most interesting of ways. Years ago, I was a youth pastor, Brandon, Manitoba. From Brandon, Manitoba, we were pastoring at our first church, Emmanuel Evangelical Free Church in Steinbach, Manitoba. And every year we would take missions trips. We would take kids. We started off taking them to inner city Chicago. And we were actually doing a a feeding program for people who lived in a park on what is known as the Golden Mile. It's actually a park right between the lake and where Oprah Winfrey lives in Chicago. And we were there that day serving a meal. 
And I was standing underneath a tree. And what nobody knew is that Laurel and I were trying to make a really tough decision. We were trying to make a decision as to whether or not God was calling us away from Emmanuel Evangelical Free Church in Steinbach, Manitoba, to come to a little Baptist church in a place called Everson, Washington. And we were trying to make up our mind. We didn't know what to do because we loved those kids. We loved that church. We loved our pastor. Everything about it was just so unbelievably good. But God had been working on our hearts, seeing whether or not we were willing to leave that behind and follow a direction that he wanted us to go. And, and we were just kind of caught and stuck. So we're in this park and I'm standing under a tree and I'm just watching my sheep dish out food in the name of Jesus. And I see a homeless man on a blue bike with a white basket ride right to me. He was on a mission. He didn't deviate in his direction. He just drove straight up to the Canadian kid standing under the tree in Chicago. And he looked me in the eye and asked a question. Are you the leader of this group? I said, yes. He said, I have a word from the Lord for you. Are you humble enough to receive it? Uh, I think so. Um, <laughs> he said, I had a word from the Lord for another young pastor who was here last week, but he was too proud to receive something from a homeless man. So I figured I should probably listen. And Ernie said this, and I want to remind you, I had never met him before. He had never met me before. He had no idea what was happening inside of Laurel in my life and the decision that we were trying to make. And we were torn. I mean, we were torn about the thought of leaving this family behind and going to another place to do ministry. And Ernie, a homeless man who knew nothing about my story, said these words, and I will never forget it. He said, sometimes the greatest act of love that a shepherd can give his sheep is to entrust them to another shepherd that can take them to a place where the first shepherd could not. You know, the truth is I had a few things I could have offered him. I could have given him hope. I could have given him a warm jacket. I could have given him a meal. But that wasn't as important as what he wanted me to receive from him. What he gave me was priceless. And I always think, I would have missed it. I would have missed it completely. If this picture of Jesus hadn't been stuck somewhere way back in my heart, the art of receiving is not complicated. And if you have an issue with it, I'm going to say something to you. Jesus did it. Received it. Now, I know some of you, some of my Bible people, you're going, yeah, okay, Grant, but... I mean, like, I got a button on my... I got a verse. I got a verse for you. You're saying the wrong thing, Grant. I got a verse. The Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's true. It's true. And I think we should, as the people of God, be the most extravagant, generous givers on the face of the planet. But nowhere in that verse does it say there is a prohibition when it comes to receiving. Jesus didn't need a perfume bath. 
but he received it because of what it was going to do with his relationship with this beautiful lady who messed up his dinner reservation. I love bold statements. I love bold statements. Years ago, Martin Luther had a conviction. He read the book of Romans, and his conviction was grace is by faith. Not works, by faith. He wrote a thesis. He was called in front of a Roman Catholic inquisition, and he was warned by his friends, if you go and stand there, they're going to kill you as a heretic. He was called to a city called Worms. (laughs) That's a great name for a city, don't you think? And his friends kept saying, Martin, don't go to Worms. Don't go to Worms. You will be killed, and they're going to make you recant. His famous words, a bold statement. He said, unless I can be instructed and convinced with evidence from the Holy Scriptures or with open, clear, and distinct grounds of reasoning, then I cannot and will not recant because it is neither safe nor wise to act against conscience. God help me. Amen. I cannot do otherwise. It's a bold statement. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., standing in the face of blatant racism in this country, made a bold statement. He said, I have decided to stick with love for hate is too great a burden to bear. That's awesome. Patrick Henry, leading a group of farmers against the most sophisticated military force in the world, rallied them with this bold statement, give me liberty or give me death. Mary, a pregnant teenager 2,000 years ago, in the face of criticism and shame in her own community, made a bold statement, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. David, an Israeli teenager, is facing a Philistine giant. He makes a bold statement. You come against me with sword and spear. I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty. That's a bold statement. Moses, at 80 years of age, stands in front of the most powerful human being on the face of the planet, the Pharaoh of Egypt, and makes a bold statement. Let my people go. And now right here, Jesus, in the face of religion and legalism, ultimately in the face of sin, is going to make a declaration. Listen to Luke chapter 7, verse 48. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. There's a trap of judgment and pride. They fool us into thinking that we're the only people that have an answer, but we're not. Here's the truth of Scripture. Only Jesus can offer salvation. Only Jesus can fix a broken heart. We can't save them, but we can love them. And sometimes we can love them in giving, and sometimes we can love them in receiving. What I love about Jesus is the humility and the vulnerability we see in this story. That's really the application for everyone today. Humility and vulnerability are essential in the art of receiving. Some of you are looking at the story going, how is Jesus making himself vulnerable? Let me give you some cultural context and then we're going to wrap up. See, the Pharisees had rules, lots of rules. One of the rules was if you were a holy and righteous person and a sinful person physically touched you, 
You weren't allowed to touch anybody else until you had gone through a ritual bath to be cleansed. Do you see what happened in the story? She touched him. She touched him. And by allowing this messy human, this daughter of God, to touch him, Jesus was exposing his perfect life to her mess. I read that story and all I can say is this, that's the Jesus I know. That's the Jesus I know, humble and vulnerable and always willing to get his hands dirty in the lives of those that live closest to his heart. So today, here's what we're going to do. We're going to make a declaration. We're going to take Jesus seriously. We're going to say together out loud, I will love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I'm going to show that by loving the people that he has put closest to me with humility and vulnerability through giving and through receiving could it be awkward? Yep. Will it be worth it? Absolutely. So church, I'm going to ask you to stand with me right now. And we're going to pray a prayer of commissioning. And some of you are looking at your watch going... We're early. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> but what we're going to do is take this moment seriously because something incredible is about to happen. The church that gathered at 4173 Guide Meridian is now going to be scattered onto every street corner in Whatcom County. And we're going to be challenged to take Jesus with us, never forgetting that we are the messy ones. We are her. And we're going to learn from our Savior about what it means to both give and receive. And we're going to trust him with the results and acknowledge the fact that we can't save anybody. But we can be used as both a gift and a tool for his glory. Would you pray with me? Father God, right now, together as a church family, we receive your commission to go and love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. God, we receive the power of your Holy Spirit to walk out of these doors today and to live God-filled lives. God, we receive your grace and your mercy, and now we ask, Lord, would you simply make us agents of change and hope in a world that so desperately needs you. So Father God, into this moment, I pray over my brothers and sisters that they would be sent to make bold statements that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. God, may they take this charge with absolute seriousness and with great joy today. And Father, should we ever question whether we're worthy to carry this message, may the words of the song ring in our ears. Jesus paid it all. 
All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it as white as snow. May we be sent in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thanks again for watching. We're so glad that you joined us today. Once again, we hope you'll get involved in biblical face-to-face community wherever you happen to be today. If you'd like more information about Christ the King Community Church, if you'd like to give online, or if you'd like to submit a prayer request, or even get connected in a small group, you can find out more about us at ctk.church.